CD7. Chapter 13 Land Under Wave The Queen walked over the turf towards Tiffany. Where she'd trodden, frost gleamed for a moment. The little part of Tiffany that was still thinking thought, That grass will be dead in the morning. She's killing my turf. The whole of life is but a dream when you come to think of it, said the Queen in the same infuriatingly calm, pleasant voice. She sat down on the fallen stones. You humans are such dreamers. You dream that you're clever. You dream that you're important. You dream that you're special. You know, you're almost better than drones. You're certainly more imaginative, I have to thank you. What for? said Tiffany, looking at her boots. Terror clamped her body in red-hot wires. There wasn't anywhere to run to. I never realised how wonderful your world is, said the Queen. I mean, the drones, well, they're not much more than a kind of walking sponge, really. Their world is ancient. It's nearly dead. They're not really creative any more. With a little help from me, your people could be a lot better. Because, you see, you dream all the time. You especially dream all the time. Your picture of the world is a landscape with you in the middle of it, isn't it? Wonderful. Look at you, in that rather horrible dress and those clumpy boots. You dreamed you could invade my world with a frying pan. You had this dream about brave girl rescuing little brother. You thought you were the heroine of a story. And then you left him behind. You know, I think being hit by a billion tons of seawater must be like having a mountain of iron drop on your head, don't you? Tiffany couldn't think. Her head was full of hot pink fog. It hadn't worked. Her third thoughts were somewhere in the fog, trying to make themselves heard. Got Roland out, she muttered, still staring at her boots. But he's not yours, said the Queen. He is, let us face it, a rather stupid boy, with a big red face and brains made of pork, just like his father. You left your little brother behind with a bunch of little thieves, and you rescued a spoiled little fool. There was no time shrieked the third thoughts. You wouldn't have got to him and got back to the lighthouse. You nearly didn't get away as it was. You got Roland out. That was the logical thing to do. You don't have to be guilty about it. What's better, to try to save your brother and be brave, courageous, stupid and dead? Or save the boy and be brave, courageous, sensible and alive? But something kept saying that stupid and dead would have been more... right... Something kept saying, Would you say to Mum that you could see there wasn't time to rescue your brother, so you rescued someone else instead? Would she be pleased that you'd worked that out? Being right doesn't always work. It's the Queen, yelled the third thoughts. It's her voice. It's like hypnotism. You've got to stop listening. I expect it's not your fault you're so cold and heartless, said the Queen. It's probably all to do with your parents. They probably never gave you enough time, and having Wentworth was a very cruel thing to do. They really should have been more careful. And they let you read too many words. It can't be good for a young brain, knowing words like paradigm and eschatological. 
It leads to behaviour, such as using your own brother as monster bait. The Queen sighed. Sadly, that kind of thing happens all the time. I think you should be proud of not being worse than just deeply introverted and socially maladjusted. She walked around Tiffany. It's so sad, she continued. You dream that you are strong, sensible, logical, the kind of person who always has a bit of string. But that's just your excuse for not being really properly human. You're just a brain, no heart at all. You didn't even cry when Granny Aching died. You think too much. And now your precious thinking has let you down. Well, I think it's best if I just kill you, don't you? Find a stone, the third thought screamed. Hit her. Tiffany was aware of other figures in the gloom. There were some of the people from the summer pictures, but there were also Dromes and the Headless Horseman and the Bumblebee Women. Around her, frost crept over the ground. I think we'll like it here, said the Queen. Tiffany felt the cold creeping up her legs. Her third thoughts, hoarse with effort, shouted, Do something! She should have been better organised, she thought dully. She shouldn't have relied on dreams. Or perhaps I should have been a real human being, more feeling. But I couldn't help not crying. It just wouldn't come. And how can I stop thinking, and thinking about thinking, and even thinking about thinking about thinking? She saw the smile in the Queen's eyes and thought, Which one of all those people doing all that thinking is me? Is there really any me at all? Clouds poured across the sky like a stain. They covered the stars. They were the inky clouds from the frozen world, the clouds of nightmare. It began to rain, rain with ice in it. It hit the turf like bullets, turning it into chalky mud. The wind howled like a pack of grimhounds. Tiffany managed to take a step forward. The mud sucked at her boots. A bit of spirit at last, said the Queen, stepping back. Tiffany tried another step, but things were not working any more. She was too cold and too tired. She could feel herself disappearing, getting lost. So sad to end like this, said the Queen. Tiffany fell forward into the freezing mud. The rain grew harder, stinging like needles, hammering on her head and running like icy tears down her cheeks. It struck so hard that it left her breathless. She felt the cold drawing all the heat out of her, and that was the only sensation left apart from a musical note. It sounded like the smell of snow or the sparkle of frost. It was high and thin and drawn out. She couldn't feel the ground under her, and there was nothing to see, not even the stars. The clouds had covered everything. She was so cold she couldn't feel the cold any more, or her fingers. A thought managed to trickle through her freezing mind. Is there any me at all? Or do my thoughts just dream of me? The blackness grew deeper. Night was never as black as this, and winter never as cold. It was colder than the deep winters when the snow came down and Granny Aching would plod from snowdrift to snowdrift, looking for warm bodies. The sheep could survive the snow if the shepherd had some wits, Granny used to say. The snow kept the cold away, the sheep surviving in warm hollows under roofs of snow while a bitter wind blew harmlessly over them. 
but this was as cold as those days when even the snow couldn't fall and the wind was pure cold itself, blowing ice crystals across the turf. Those were the killer days in early spring when the lambing had begun and winter came howling down one more time. There was darkness everywhere, bitter and starless. There was a speck of light a long way off. One star, low down, moving. It got bigger in the stormy night. It zigzagged as it came. Silence covered Tiffany and drew her into itself. The silence smelled of sheep and turpentine and tobacco. And then came movement as if she was falling through the ground very fast. And gentle warmth and, just for a moment, the sound of waves. And her own voice inside her head. This land is in my bones, land under wave. Whitesness. It tumbled through the warm, heavy darkness around her, something like snow but as fine as dust. It piled up somewhere below her because she could see a faint whiteness. A creature, like an ice cream cone with lots of tentacles, shot past her and jetted away. I'm underwater, thought Tiffany. I remember. This is the million-year rain under the sea. This is the new land being born underneath an ocean. It's not a dream. It's a memory. The land under wave. Millions and millions of tiny shells. This land was alive. All the time there was the warm, comforting smell of the shepherding hut and the feeling of being held in invisible hands. The whiteness below her rose up and over her head, but it didn't seem uncomfortable. It was like being in a mist. Now I'm inside the chalk, like a flint, like a colkin. She wasn't sure how long she spent in the warm, deep water, or if indeed any time really had passed, or if the millions of years went past in a second, but she felt movement again and a sense of rising. More memories poured into her mind. There's always been someone watching the borders. They didn't decide to. It was decided for them. Someone has to care. Sometimes they have to fight. Someone has to speak for that which has no voice. She opened her eyes. She was still lying in the mud, and the queen was laughing at her, and overhead the storm still raged. But she felt warm. In fact, she felt hot, red-hot with anger. Anger at the bruised turf, anger at her own stupidity, anger at this beautiful creature whose only talent was control. This creature was trying to take her world. All witches are selfish, the Queen had said. But Tiffany's third thought said, then turn selfishness into a weapon. Make all things yours. Make other lives and dreams and hopes yours. Protect them. Save them. Bring them into the sheepfold. Walk the gale for them. Keep away the wolf. My dreams, my brother, my family, my land, my world. How dare you try to take these things because they are mine. I have a duty. The anger overflowed. She stood up clenched her fists and screamed at the storm, putting into the scream all the rage that was inside her. Lightning struck the ground on either side of her. It did so twice, 
and it stayed there, crackling, and two dogs formed. Steam rose from their coats, and blue light sparked from their ears as they shook themselves. They looked attentively at Tiffany. The Queen gasped and vanished. "'Come by, Lightning!' shouted Tiffany. "'Away to me, Thunder!' And she remembered the time when she'd run across the downs, falling over, shouting all the wrong things, while the two dogs had done exactly what needed to be done. Two streaks of black and white sped away across the turf and up towards the clouds. They herded the storm. Clouds panicked and scattered, but always there was a comet streaking across the sky, and they were turned. Monstrous shapes writhed and screamed in the boiling sky, but thunder and lightning had worked many flocks. There was an occasional snap of lightning sparks' teeth and a wail. Tiffany stared upwards, rain pouring off her face, and shouted commands that no dog could possibly have heard. Jostling and rumbling and screaming, the storm rolled off the hills and away towards the mountains, where there were deep canyons that could pen it. Out of breath, glowing with triumph, Tiffany watched until the dogs came back and settled once again on the turf. And then she remembered something else. It didn't matter what order she gave those dogs. They were not her dogs. They were working dogs. Thunder and lightning didn't take orders from a little girl and the dogs weren't looking at her. They were looking just behind her. She'd have turned if someone had told her a horrible monster was behind her. She'd have turned if they'd said it had a thousand teeth. She didn't want to turn round now. Forcing herself was the hardest thing she'd ever done. She was not afraid of what she might see. She was terribly, mortally frightened, afraid to the centre of her bones of what she might not see. She shut her eyes while her cowardly boots shuffled her round, and then, after a deep breath, she opened them again. There was a gust of jolly sailor tobacco and sheep and turpentine. Sparkling in the dark, light glittering off the white shepherdess dress and every blue ribbon and silver buckle of it, was Granny aching, smiling hugely, glowing with pride. In one hand she held the huge ornamental crook hung with blue bows. She pirouetted slowly, and Tiffany saw that while she was a brilliant glowing shepherdess from hat to hem, she still had her huge old boots on. Granny Aching took her pipe out of her mouth and gave Tiffany the little nod that was, from her, a round of applause. And then she wasn't. Real starlit darkness covered the turf, and the nighttime sounds filled the air. Tiffany didn't know if what had just happened was a dream, or had happened somewhere that wasn't quite here, or had only happened in her head. It didn't matter. It had happened. And now... But I'm still here, said the Queen, stepping in front of her. Perhaps it was all a dream. Perhaps you have got a little mad, because you are, after all, a very strange child. Perhaps you had help. How good are you? Do you think that you can face me alone? I can make you think whatever I please. Crivens! Oh, no, not them, said the Queen, throwing up her hands. It wasn't just the Knack Feagles, but also Wentworth, a strong smell of seaweed, a lot of water and a dead shark. They all appeared in mid-air and landed in a heap between Tiffany and the Queen. But a Pictsy was always ready for a fight and they bounced, rolled, and came up, drawing their swords and shaking seawater out of their hair. 
Oh, tis you, is it? said Rob anybody, glaring up at the Queen. Face to face we at last, ye blousty old callyak that ye are. Ye cannot come here, understand? Be off wi ye. Are ye going to go quietly? The Queen stamped heavily on him. When she took her foot away, only the top of his head was visible above the turf. Well, are ye? he said, pulling himself out as if nothing had happened. I don't want to have to lose my temper with ye. And it's no good sending your pets against us, cause ye can we can take em to the cleaners. He turned to Tiffany, who hadn't moved. You can just leave this to us, Kilda. Us and the Queen, we go way back. The Queen snapped her fingers. Always leaping into things you don't understand, she hissed. Well, can you face these? Every Knack MacFeagle's sword suddenly glowed blue. Back in the crowd of eerily lit Pictses, a voice that sounded very much like that of Daft Woolly said, Ach, we're in real trouble, no. Three figures had appeared in the air a little way away. The middle one, Tiffany saw, had a long red gown, a strange long wig and black tights with buckles on his shoes. The others were just ordinary men, it seemed, in ordinary grey suits. "'Oh, you're a hard woman, Queen,' said William de Gonagall, "'to set lawyers on to "'See the one on the left there,' whimpered a pixie. "'See, he's got a briefcase. It's a briefcase. "'Oh, whaley, whaley, a briefcase, whaley!' Reluctantly, a step at a time, pressing together in terror, the knack MacFeagles began to back away. "'Oh, whaley, whaley, he's snapping the clasps,' groaned Daft Woolly. "'Oh, whaley, 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 tis the sound of doom when a lawyer does that.' "'Mr. Rob, anybody, Fiegel, and sundry others,' said one of the figures in a voice of dread. "'There's nobody here of that name,' shouted Rob, anybody. "'We didn't know anything. "'We have heard a list of criminal and civil charges, "'totaling 19,763 separate offences. "'We was near there,' yelled Rob, anybody, desperately. "'Isn't that right, lads?' "'including more than two thousand cases of making an affray, "'causing a public nuisance, being found drunk, "'being found very drunk, using offensive language, "'taking into account ninety-seven counts of using language "'that was probably offensive if anyone else could understand it, "'committing a breach of the peace, malicious lingering. "'It's mistaken identity!' shouted Rob, anybody. "'It's not our fault!' "'We was only standing there and someone else did it and ran away. "'Grand theft, petty theft, burglary, housebreaking, "'loitering with intent to commit a felony.' "'We was misunderstood when we was bairns,' yelled Rob anybody. "'You're only picking on us cos we're blue. "'We always get blamed for everything. "'The police hate us. "'We wasn't even in the country.' "'But to groans from the cowering Pictses, "'one of the lawyers produced a big roll of paper from his briefcase.' He cleared his throat and read out, Angus Big, Angus no as big as Big Angus, Angus wee, Archie Big, Archie one-eyed, Archie wee mad. They've got our names, sobbed Daft Woolly. They've got our names. It's the prison who's for us. Objection. I move for a writ of habeas corpus, said a small voice, and enter a plea of visne faciem capite replatam without prejudice. There was absolute silence for a moment. Rob anybody turned to look at the frightened Knack MacFeagles and said, OK, who 
Okay, Witcher just said that. The toad crawled out of the crowd and sighed. It suddenly all came back to me, it said. I remember what I was now. The legal language brought it all back. I'm a toad now, but, it swallowed, once I was a lawyer. And this, people, is illegal. These charges are a complete tissue of lies based on hearsay evidence. It raised yellow eyes towards the Queen's lawyers. I further move that the case is adjourned sine die on the basis of potestne mata tua suere amice. The lawyers had pulled large books out of nowhere and were thumbing through them hastily. We're not familiar with counsel's terminology, said one of them. Hey, they're sweating, said Rob anybody. You mean we can have lawyers on our side as well? Yes, of course, said the toad. You can have defence lawyers. Defence, said Rob anybody. Are you telling me we could have got a wowie at cause a tissue of lies? Certainly, said the toad. And with all the treasure you've stolen, you can pay enough to be very innocent indeed. My fee will be... It gulped as a dozen glowing swords were swung towards him. I just remembered why that fairy godmother turned me into a toad, it said. So, in the circumstances, I'll take this case pro bono publico. The swords didn't move. That means for free, it added. All right, we like the sound of that, said Rob anybody to the sound of swords being sheathed. "'How come you're a lawyer and a toad?' "'Oh, well, it was just a bit of an argument,' said the toad. "'A fairy godmother gave my client three wishes, "'the usual health, wealth and happiness package, "'and when my client woke up one wet morning "'and didn't feel particularly happy, "'she got me to bring an action for breach of contract. "'It was a definite first in the history of fairy godmothering. "'Unfortunately, as it turned out, so was turning the client into a small hand-mirror and her lawyer, as you see before you, into a toad. I think the worst part was when the judge applauded. That was hurtful, in my opinion. "'But you can still remember all that legal stuff. Good,' said Rob anybody. He glared at the other lawyers. "'Hey, you scunners! We got a cheap lawyer, and we're no afraid to use him with prejudice!' The other lawyers were pulling more and more paperwork out of the air now. They looked worried and a little frightened. Rob anybody's eyes gleamed as he watched them. "'What does all that Visne Facium stuff mean, my learned friend?' he said. "'Visne Facium Capite Replatam,' said the toad. "'It was the best I could do in a hurry, but it means approximately,' he gave a little cough. "'Would you like a face which is full of head?' "'And to think we didn't in no legal talking was that simple,' said Rob anybody. We could all be lawyers, lads, if we knew the fancy words. Let's get them. The Knack Mac Fiegel could change mood in a moment, especially at the sound of a battle cry. They raised their swords in the air. Twelve hundred angry men, they shouted. Nay more courtroom drama. We have the law on our side. The law's made to tack care of rascals. No, said the Queen and waved her hand. Lawyers and Pictses faded away. There was just her and Tiffany facing one another on the turf at the dawn, the wind hissing around the stones. "'What have you done with them?' Tiffany shouted. "'Oh, they're around somewhere,' said the Queen airily. "'It's all dreams anyway. And dreams within dreams. You can't rely on anything, little girl.' 
Nothing is real. Nothing lasts. Everything goes. All you can do is learn to dream, and it's too late for that. And I... I have had longer to learn. Tiffany wasn't sure which of her thoughts was operating now. She was tired. She felt as though she was watching herself from above and a little behind. She saw herself set her boots firmly on the turf, and then... and then... And then, like someone rising from the clouds of a sleep, she felt the deep, deep time below her. She sensed the breath of the downs and the distant roar of ancient, ancient seas trapped in millions of tiny shells. She thought of Granny aching under the turf, becoming part of the chalk again, part of the land under wave. She felt as if huge wheels of time and stars were turning slowly around her. She opened her eyes and then, somewhere inside, opened her eyes again. She heard the grass growing and the sound of worms below the turf. She could feel the thousands of little lives around her smell all the scents on the breeze and see all the shades of the night. The wheels of stars and years of space and time, locked into place. She knew exactly where she was, and who she was, and what she was. She swung a hand. The Queen tried to stop her, but she might as well have tried to stop a wheel of years. Tiffany's hand caught her face and knocked her off her feet. "'I never cried for Granny, because there was no need to,' she said. "'She has never left me.' She leaned down, and centuries bent with her. The secret is not to dream, she whispered. The secret is to wake up. Waking up is harder. I have woken up and I am real. I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. You cannot fool me any more or touch me or anything that is mine. I'll never be like this again, she thought, as she saw the terror in the Queen's face. I'll never again feel as tall as the sky and as old as the hills and as strong as the sea. I've been given something for a while, and the price of it is that I have to give it back. And the reward is giving it back too. No human could live like this. You could spend a day looking at a flower to see how wonderful it is, and that wouldn't get the milking done. No wonder we dream our way through our lives. To be awake and see it all as it really is, no one could stand that for long. She took a deep breath and picked the Queen up. She was aware of things happening, of dreams roaring around her, but they didn't affect her. She was real, and she was awake, more awake than she'd ever been. She had to concentrate even to think against the storm of sensations pouring into her mind. The Queen was as light as a baby and changed shape madly in Tiffany's arms, into monsters and mixed-up beasts, things with claws and tentacles. But at last she was small and grey like a monkey, with a large head and big eyes, and a little downy chest that went up and down as she panted. She reached the stones. The arch still stood. It was never down, Tiffany thought. She had no strength, no magic, just one trick. The worst one. Stay away from here, said Tiffany, stepping through the stone doorway. Never come back. Never touch what is mine. And then, because the thing was so weak and baby-like, she added, but I hope there's someone who'll cry for you. I hope the king comes back. You pity me, growled the thing that had been the queen. Yes, a bit, 
said Tiffany. Like Miss Robinson, she thought. She put the creature down. It scampered across the snow, turned, and became the beautiful queen again. You won't win, the queen said. There's always a way in. People dream. Sometimes we waken, said Tiffany. Don't come back, or there will be a reckoning. She concentrated, and now the stones framed nothing more or less than the country beyond. I shall still have to find a way of sealing that, said her third thoughts, or her twentieth thoughts, perhaps. Her head was full of thoughts. She managed to walk a little way and then sat down, hugging her knees. Imagine getting stuck like this, she thought. You'd have to wear earplugs and nose plugs and a big black hood over your head, and still you'd see and hear too much. She closed her eyes and closed her eyes again. She felt it all draining away. It was like falling asleep, sliding from that strange wide awakeness into normal, everyday... well, being awake. It felt as if everything was blurred and muffled. This is how we always feel, she thought. We sleepwalk through our lives because how could we live if we were always that awake? Someone tapped her on the boot. Chapter 14 Small, like oak trees Hey, where did you get to? shouted Rob anybody, glaring up at her. One minute we was just about to give them lawyers a good legal seeing to, next minute you and the Queen was gone. Dreams within dreams, Tiffany thought, holding her head. But they were over, and you couldn't look at the Knack Fiegel and not know what was real. It's over, she said. Did you kill her? No. She'll be back then, said Rob anybody. She's awful stupid, that one. Clever with the dreaming, I'll grant you, but not a brain in her heed. Tiffany nodded. The blurred feeling was going. The moment of wide awakeness had faded like a dream. But I must remember that it wasn't a dream. How did you get away from the huge wave? she asked. Ach, we're fast movers, said Rob anybody. And it was a strong lighthouse. Of course, the water came up pretty high. A few sharks were involved, that kind of thing, said not as big as medium-sized jock, but bigger than wee jock-jock. Oh, aye, a few sharkies, said Rob anybody, shrugging. And one of them octopuses. It was a giant squid said William de Gonagall. Aye, well, it was a kebab pretty quickly, said Daft Woolly. A heedful, a heed, you wee-wee-wee, shouted Wentworth, overcome with wit. William coughed politely. And the big wave threw up a lot of sunken vessels full of treasure, he said. We stopped off for a wee pillage. The Knack Feagles held up wonderful jewels and big gold coins. But that's just dream treasure, surely, said Tiffany. Fairy gold, it'll turn into rubbish in the morning. Aye, said Rob anybody. He glanced at the horizon. Okay, you had to kill the lads. We got maybe half an hour to sell it to someone. Permission to go off ski, he added to Tiffany. Er, uh, oh yes, fine, thank you. They were gone in a split-second blur of blue and red. But William the Gonagall remained for a moment. He bowed to Tiffany. You didn't do it all badly, he said. We're proud of ye. So would your granny be, remember that. You're not unloved. Then he vanished too. There was a groan from Roland lying on the turf. He began to move. Wee wee men all gone, said Wentworth sadly in the silence that followed. Cruverin's all gone. What were they? muttered Roland, sitting up and holding his head. It's all a bit complicated, said Tiffany. 
Uh, do you remember much? It, it all seems like a, a dream, said Roland. I remember the sea, and we were running, and I cracked a nut which was full of those little men, and I was hunting in this huge forest with shadows. Dreams can be very funny things, said Tiffany carefully. She went to stand up and thought, I must wait here a while. I don't know why I know, I just know. Perhaps I knew and have forgotten, but I must wait for something. Can you walk down to the village? she said. Oh, yes, I think so. But what did... Then will you take Wentworth, will you, please? I'd like to rest for a while. Are you sure? said Roland, looking concerned. Yes, I won't be long. Please, you can drop him off at the farm. Tell my parents I'll be down soon. Tell them I'm fine. Wee wee men, said Wentworth. Crivens want bed. Roland was still looking uncertain. Off you go, Tiffany commanded, and waved him away. When the two of them had disappeared below the brow of the hill with several backward glances, she sat down between the four iron wheels and hugged her knees. Far off, she could see the mound of the Nakmak Fiegel. Already they were a slightly puzzling memory, and she'd seen them only a few minutes ago. But when they'd gone, they left the impression of never having been there. She could go to the mound and see if she could find the big hole. But supposing it wasn't there? Well, supposing it was, but all there was down there were rabbits. No, it's all true, she said to herself. I must remember that too. A buzzard screamed in the dawn greyness. She looked up as it circled into sunlight, and a tiny dot detached itself from the bird. That was far too high up, even for a pixie to stand a fall. Tiffany scrambled to her feet as Hamish tumbled through the sky, and then something ballooned above him, and the fall became just a gentle floating, like thistledown. The bulging shape above Hamish was Y-shaped. As it got bigger, the shape became more precise, more familiar. He landed and a pair of Tiffany's pants, the long-legged ones with the rosebud pattern, settled down on top of him. "'That was great,' he said, pushing his way through the folds of fabric. "'Name all landing on my head for me!' "'They're my best pants,' said Tiffany wearily. "'You stole them off our clothesline, didn't you?' "'Oh, aye, nice and clean,' said Hamish. "'I had to cut the lace off, because it got in the way, "'but I put it by and you could easily sew it on again.' He gave Tiffany the big grin of someone who, for once, has not dived heavily into the ground. She sighed. She'd liked the lace. She didn't have many things that weren't necessary. I think you'd better keep them, she said. Aye, I will then, said Hamish. No, what was it? Oh, yes. You have visitors coming. I spotted them over the valley. Look up there. There were two other things up there, bigger than a buzzard, so high that they were already in full sunlight. Tiffany watched as they circled lower. They were broomsticks. I knew I had to wait, Tiffany thought. Her ears bubbled. She turned and saw Hamish running across the grass. As she looked, the buzzard picked him up and sped onwards. She wondered if he was frightened, or at least didn't want to meet whoever was coming. The broomsticks descended. The lowest one had two figures on it. As it landed, Tiffany saw that one of them was Miss Dick, clinging anxiously onto a smaller figure who'd been doing the steering. She half climbed off, half fell off, and tottered over to Tiffany. "'You wouldn't believe the time I've had,' she said. "'It was just a nightmare. We threw for the storm. Are you all right?' "'Er, uh, yes. What happened?' Tiffany looked at her. "'How did you begin to answer something like that?' "'The Queen's gone,' she said. That seemed to cover it. 
What? The Queen has gone? Uh, oh, er, uh, uh, these ladies are, are Mrs. Og. Morning, said the broomstick's other occupant, who was pulling at her long black dress, from under the folds of which came the sounds of twanging elastic. The wind up there blows right where it likes, I don't mind telling you. She was a short, fat lady with a cheerful face, like an apple that's been stored too long. All the wrinkles moved into different positions when she smiled. And this, said Mystic, is Miss... Mistress, snapped the other witch, dismounting. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Mistress Weatherwax, said Miss Tick. Very, very good witches, she whispered to Tiffany. I was very lucky to find them. They respect witches up in the mountains. Tiffany was impressed that anyone could make Miss Tick flustered, but the other witch seemed to do it just by standing there. She was tall, except, Tiffany realised, she wasn't that tall, but she stood tall, which could easily fool you if you weren't paying attention, and, like the other witch, wore a rather shabby black dress. She had an elderly, thin face that gave nothing away. Piercing blue eyes looked Tiffany up and down from head to toe. "'You've got good boots,' said the witch. "'Tell Mistress Weatherwax what happened,' Miss Tick began, but the witch held up a hand, and Miss Tick stopped talking immediately. Tiffany was even more impressed now. Mistress Weatherwax gave Tiffany a look that went right through her head and about five miles out the other side. Then she walked over to the stones and waved one hand. It was an odd movement, a kind of wriggle in the air, but for a moment it left a glowing line. There was a noise, a chord, as though all sorts of sounds were happening at the same time. It snapped into silence. "'Jolly sailor tobacco,' said the witch. "'Yes,' said Tiffany. The witch waved a hand again. There was another sharp, complicated noise. Mistress Weatherwax turned suddenly and stared at the distant pimple that was the Pixie Mound. "'Nack-mack Fiegel! Kelda!' she demanded. "Er, yes. Only temporary,' said Tiffany. "'Hm!' said Mistress Weatherwax. Wave. Sound. "'Frying pan!' "'Yes, it's got lost, though.' "'Hm!' Wave. Sound. It was as if the woman was extracting her history from the air. "'Filled buckets!' Uh, and they filled the log box too, said Tiffany. Wave, sound. I see. Special sheep liniment. Yes, my father says it puts... Wave, sound. Ah, land of snow. Wave, sound. A queen. Wave, sound. Fighting. Wave, sound. On the sea. Wave, sound. Wave. Sound. Mistress Weatherwax stared at the flashing air, looking at pictures only she could see. Mrs. Ogg sat down beside Tiffany, her little legs going up in the air as she made herself comfortable. I've tried Jolly Sailor, she said. Smells like toenails, don't it? Yes, it does, said Tiffany gratefully. To be a kelder of the Nackmack Fiegel, you have to marry one of them, don't you? said Mrs. Ogg innocently. Ah, uh, yeah, but I find a way round that, said Tiffany. She told her. Mrs. Ogg laughed. It was a sociable kind of laugh, the sort of laugh that makes you comfortable. The noise and flashing stopped. Mistress Weatherwax stood staring at nothing for a moment, and then said, You beat the Queen at the end, but you had help, I think. Yes, I did, said Tiffany. And that was? I don't ask you your business, said Tiffany, before she'd even realised she was going to say it. Miss Tick gasped. 
Mrs. Ogg's eyes twinkled, and she looked from Tiffany to Mistress Weatherwax like someone watching a tennis match. Uh, Tiffany, Mistress Weatherwax is the most famous witch in all... Miss Tick began severely, but the witch waved a hand at her again. I really must learn how to do that, Tiffany thought. Then Mistress Weatherwax took off her pointed hat and bowed to Tiffany. Well said, she said, straightening up and staring directly at Tiffany. I didn't have the right to ask you. This is your country. We're here by your leave. I show you respect, as you in turn will respect me. The air seemed to freeze for a moment, and the skies to darken. Then Mistress Weatherwax went on, as if a moment of thunder hadn't happened. But if one day you care to tell me more, I should be grateful to hear about it, she said in a conversational voice. And them creatures that look like they're made of dough, I should like to know more about them too. Never run across them before. And your grandmother sounds the kind of person I would have liked to meet. She straightened up. In the meantime, we better see if there's anything left you can still be taught. Is this where I learn about witches' school? said Tiffany. There was a moment of silence. Witches' school? said Mistress Weatherwax. Um, said Miss Tick. You were being metaphorical, weren't you? said Tiffany. Metaphorical? said Mrs. Ogg, wrinkling her forehead. Uh, she means a metaphorical, mumbled Miss Tick. It's like stories, said Tiffany. It's all right. I worked it out. This is the school, isn't it? The magic place, the world here. And you don't realise it until you look. Do you know the Pixies think this world is heaven? We just don't look. You can't give lessons on witchcraft, not properly. It's all about how you are. You, I suppose. Nicely said, said Mistress Weatherwax. You're sharp, but there's magic too. You'll pick that up. It don't take much intelligence, otherwise wizards wouldn't be able to do it. You'll need a job too, said Mrs. Ogg. There is no money in witchcraft. Can't do magic for yourself, see? Carstein rule. I make good cheese, said Tiffany. Cheese, eh? said Mistress Weatherwax. Hmm, yeah, cheese is good. But do you know anything about medicines? Midwifery. That's a good portable skill. Well, I've helped deliver difficult lambs, said Tiffany, and I saw my brother being born. They didn't bother to turn me out. It didn't look too difficult. But I think cheese is probably easier and less noisy. Cheese is good, Mistress Weatherwax repeated, nodding. Cheese is alive. And what do you really do? said Tiffany. The thin witch hesitated for a moment, and then... We look to the edges, said Mistress Weatherwax. There are a lot of edges, more than people know, between life and death, this world and the next, night and day, right and wrong, and they need watching. We watch them. We guard the summer things, and we never ask for any reward. That's important. People give us stuff, mind you. People can be very generous to witches said Mrs. Ogg happily. On baking days in our village, sometimes I can't move for cake. There is ways and ways of not asking, if you get my meaning. People like to see a happy witch. But down here, people think witches are bad, said Tiffany, and her second thoughts added, remember how rarely Granny Aching ever had to buy her own tobacco? It's amazing what people can get used to, said Mrs. Ogg. You just have to start slow, and we have to hurry said Mistress Weatherwax. There is a man riding up here on a farm horse. Fair hair, red face. It sounds like my father. Well, he's making the poor thing gallop, said Mistress Weatherwax. Quick now. You want to learn the skills? When can you leave home? Pardon? said Tiffany. 
"'Don't the girls here go off to work as maids and things?' said Mrs. Ogg. "'Oh, yes, when they're a bit older than me.' "'Well, when you're a bit older than you, Miss Tick here will come and find you,' said Mistress Weatherwax. Miss Tick nodded. "'There are elderly witches up in the mountains who'll pass on what they know in exchange for a bit of help around the cottage. This place will be watched over while you're gone. You may depend on it. In the meantime, you'll get three meals a day, your own bed, use a broomstick. That's the way we do it. All right?' "'Yes,' said Tiffany, grinning happily. The wonderful moment was passing too quickly for all the questions she wanted to ask. "'Yes, but... but uh... "'Yes?' said Mrs. Hogg. "'I don't have to dance around with no clothes on or anything like that, do I? "'Only I, I heard rumours.' Mistress Weatherwax rolled her eyes. Mrs. Ogg grinned cheerfully. "'Well, that procedure does have something to recommend it,' she began. "'No, you don't have to,' snapped Mistress Weatherwax. "'No cottage made of sweets, no cackling and no dancing.' "'Not unless you want to,' said Mrs. Ogg, standing up. "'There's no harm in an occasional cackle if the mood takes you that way.' I'd teach you a good one right now, but really we ought to be going. But, but how, how do you manage it? said Miss Tick to Tiffany. This is all chalk. You've become a witch on chalk, how? That's all you know, perspicacia Tick, said Mistress Weatherwax. The bones of the hills is flint. It's hard and sharp and useful. King of stones. She picked up her broomstick and turned back to Tiffany. Will you get into trouble, do you think? she said. I might do, said Tiffany. "'Do you want any help?' "'If it's my trouble, I'll get out of it,' said Tiffany. She wanted to say, "'Yes, yes, I'm going to need help. "'I don't know what's going to happen when my father gets here. "'The Baron's probably got really angry, "'but I don't want them to think I can't deal with my own problems. "'I ought to be able to cope.' "'That's right,' said Mistress Weatherwax. "'Tiffany wondered if the witch could read minds. "'Minds? No,' said Mistress Weatherwax, "'climbing on a broomstick. "'Faces? Yes. "'Come here, young lady.' "'Tiffany obeyed. "'The thing about witchcraft,' said Mistress Weatherwax, "'is that it's not like school at all. First you get the test, "'and then afterwards you spend years finding out how you passed it. "'It's a bit like life in that respect.' "'She reached out and gently raised Tiffany's chin "'so that she could look into her face. "'I see you opened your eyes,' she said. "'Yes.' "'Good. Many people never do. "'Times ahead might be a little tricky even so.' You'll need this. She stretched out a hand, made a circle in the air around Tiffany's hair, and then brought her hand up over the head while making little movements with her forefinger. Tiffany raised her hands to her head. For a moment she thought there was nothing there, and then they touched... something. It was more like a sensation in the air. If you weren't expecting it to be there, your fingers passed straight through. Is it really there? she said. Who knows? said the witch. It's... "'Virtually a pointy hat. "'No one else will know it's there. "'It might be a comfort.' "'You mean it just exists in my head?' said Tiffany. "'You've got a lot of things in your head. "'That doesn't mean they aren't real. "'Best not to ask me too many questions.' "'What am the toad?' said Miss Tick, who did ask questions. "'It's gone to live with the wee free men,' said Tiffany. "'It turned out it used to be a lawyer.' "'You've given the clan of the Knack Feagle their own lawyer?' said Mrs. Ogg. That'll make the world tremble. Still, I always say the occasional tremble does you good. Come, sisters, we must away, said Miss Tick, who had climbed on the other broomstick behind Mrs. Ogg. There is no need for that sort of talk, said Mrs. Ogg. That's theatre talk, that is. Cheery old Tiff, we'll see you again. Her stick rose gently in the air. 
From the stick of Mistress Weatherwax, though, there was merely a sad little noise, like the thwop of Miss Tick's hat point. The broomstick went, Mistress Weatherwax sighed. It's them dwarfs, she said. They say they repaired it. Oh, yes, and it starts first time in their workshop. They heard the sound of distant hooves. With surprising speed, Mistress Weatherwax swung herself off the stick, grabbed it firmly in both hands, and ran away across the turf, skirts billowing behind her. She was a speck in the distance when Tiffany's father came over the brow of the hill on one of the farm horses. He hadn't even stopped to put the leather shoes on it. Great slices of earth flew up as the hooves the size of large soup plates, probably about eleven inches across. Tiffany didn't measure them this time. Each one shod with iron bit into the turf. Tiffany heard a faint behind her as he leaped off his horse. She was surprised to see him laughing and crying at the same time. It was all a bit of a dream. Tiffany found that a very useful thing to say. It's hard to remember. It was all a bit of a dream. It was all a bit of a dream, I can't be certain. The overjoyed Baron, however, was very certain. Obviously this, this Queen woman, whoever she was, had been stealing children, but Roland had beaten her, oh yes, and helped these two young children to get back as well. Her mother had insisted on Tiffany going to bed, even though it was broad daylight. Actually, she didn't mind. She was tired, and lay under the covers in that nice pink world halfway between asleep and awake. She heard the Baron and her father talking downstairs. She heard the story being woven between them as they tried to make sense of it all. Obviously the girl had been very brave, this was the Baron speaking, but, well, she was nine, wasn't she, and didn't even know how to use a sword, whereas Roland had fencing lessons at his school. And so it went on. There were other things she heard her parents discussing later, when the Baron had gone. There was the way Ratbag now lived on the roof, for example. Tiffany lay in bed and smelled the ointment her mother had rubbed into her temples. Tiffany must have got hit on the head, she'd said, because of the way she kept on touching it. So, Roland with the beefy face was the hero, was he? And she was just like the stupid princess who broke her ankle and fainted all the time. That was completely unfair. She reached out to the little table beside her bed where she'd put the invisible hat. Her mother had put down a cup of broth right through it, but it was still there. Tiffany's fingers felt very faintly the roughness of the brim. We never ask for any reward, she thought. Besides, it was her secret, all of it. No one else knew about the wee free men. Admittedly, Wentworth had taken to running through the house with a tablecloth round his waist, shouting, "'Wee wee men's, I'll scone you in the boot!' But Mrs. Aching was still so glad to see him back, and so happy that he was talking about things other than sweets, that she wasn't paying too much attention to what he was talking about. No, she couldn't tell anyone. They'd never believe her, and suppose that they did and went up and poked around the Picts' mound. She couldn't let that happen. What would Granny Aching have done? Granny Aching would have said nothing. Granny Aching often said nothing. She just smiled to herself and puffed on her pipe, and waited until the right time. Tiffany smiled to herself. She slept, and didn't dream. And a day went past. And another day. On the third day it rained. Tiffany went into the kitchen when no one was about, and took down the china shepherdess from the shelf. She put it in a sack, then slipped out of the house and ran up onto the downs. The worst of the weather was going either side of the chalk, 
which cut through the clouds like a prow of a ship. But when Tiffany reached the spot where an old stove and four iron wheels stood out of the grass, and cut a square of turf, and carefully chipped out a hole for the china shepherdess, and then put the turf back, it was raining hard enough to soak it in and give it a chance of surviving. It seemed the right thing to do, and she was sure she caught a whiff of tobacco. Then she went to the Pictsy's mound. She'd worried about that. She knew they were there, didn't she? So, somehow, going to check that they were there would be sort of showing that she doubted if they would be, wouldn't it? They were busy people. They had lots to do. They had the old Kelder to mourn. They were probably very busy. That's what she told herself. It wasn't because she kept wondering if there really might be nothing down the hole but rabbits. It wasn't that at all. She was the Kelder. She had a duty. She heard music. She heard voices. And then sudden silence as she peered into the gloom. She carefully took a bottle of special sheep liniment out of her sack and let it slide into the darkness. Tiffany walked away and heard the faint music start up again. She did wave at a buzzard circling lazily under the clouds, and she was sure a tiny dot waved back. On the fourth day, Tiffany made butter, and did her chores. She did have help. And now I want you to go and feed the chickens, she said to Wentworth. What is it I want you to do? Fear cluck clucks, said Wentworth. Chickens, said Tiffany severely. Chickens, said Wentworth obediently. And wipe your nose, not on your sleeve. I gave you a handkerchief. And on the way back, see if you can carry a whole log, will you? Ah, crivens, muttered Wentworth. And what is it we don't say, said Tiffany. We don't say the... The crivens word, Wentworth muttered. And we don't say it in front of... In front of Mummy, said Wentworth. Good. And then when I've finished, we'll have time to go down to the river. Wentworth brightened up. "'Wee-wee, men's,' he said. Tiffany didn't reply immediately. Tiffany hadn't seen a single fegal since she'd been home. "'There might be,' she said. "'But they're probably very busy. "'They've got to find another kelder. "'And, well, they're very busy, I expect.' "'Wee-wee, men, say hit you in the head, fish-face,' said Wentworth happily. "'We'll see,' said Tiffany, feeling like a parent. "'Now please go and feed the chickens and get the eggs.' When he'd wandered away, carrying the egg basket in both hands, Tiffany turned out some butter onto the marble slab and picked up the paddles to pat it into, well, a pat of butter. Then she'd stamp it with one of the wooden stamps. People appreciated a little picture on their butter. As she began to shape the butter, she was aware of a shadow in the doorway and turned. It was Roland. He looked at her, his face even redder than usual. He was twiddling his very expensive hat nervously, just like Rob anybody did. "'Yes,' she said. "'Look, uh, about... <coughs> well, uh, about all that, um... "'About?' Roland began. "'Yes?' "'Look, I didn't... Uh, I mean, I didn't lie to anyone or anything,' he blurted out. "'But my father just sort of assumed I'd been a hero, "'and he just wouldn't listen to anything I said, "'even after I told him how... how... how helpful I'd been,' said Tiffany. "'Yes, I, I, I mean, no, he, he said... He, he, he said... "'He said it was lucky for you I was there. Uh, "'He said... "'It doesn't matter.' said Tiffany, picking up the butter paddles again. And he just kept telling everyone how brave I'd been, and... I said, it doesn't matter, said Tiffany. The little paddles went pat-pat-pat on the fresh butter. Roland's mouth opened and shut for a moment. Uh, you mean you don't mind? 
said at last. No, I don't mind, said Tiffany. But it's not fair. We're the only ones who know the truth, said Tiffany. Pat, pat, pat. Roland stared at the fat, rich butter as she calmly patted it into shape. Oh, he said. Uh, you won't tell anyone, will you? I mean, you've got every right to, but... Pat, 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 pat. No one would believe me, said Tiffany. I did try, said Roland. Honestly, I really did. I expect you did, Tiffany thought. But you're not very clever, and the Baron certainly is a man without first sight. He sees the world the way he wants to see it. One day you'll be Baron, won't you? she said. Well, yes, one day. But look, are you really a witch? When you're Baron, you'll be good at it, I expect, said Tiffany, turning the butter around. Fair and generous and decent. You'll pay good wages and look after the old people. You wouldn't let people turn an old lady out of her house. Well, I, I hope I... Tiffany turns to face him, a butter paddle in each hand. Because I'll be there, you see. You'll look up and see my eye on you. I'll be there on the edge of the crowd all the time. I'll be watching everything. Because I come from a long line of aching people, and this is my land. But you can be the baron for us, and I hope you're a good one. If you are not, there will be a reckoning. Look, I know you, you, you were, were... Roland began, going red in the face. Very helpful, said Tiffany. But you can't talk to me like that, you know. Tiffany was sure she heard up in the roof and on the very edge of hearing someone say, Ah, Clivens, what are we, snotter? She shut her eyes for a moment and then, heart pounding, pointed a butter paddle at one of the empty buckets. Bucket, fill yourself, she commanded. It blurred and then sloshed. Water dripped down the side. Roland stared at it. Tiffany gave him one of her sweetest smiles, which could be quite scary. "'You won't tell anyone, will you?' she said. He turned to her, face pale. "'No, no one would believe me,' he stammered. "Oi," said Tiffany. "'So we understand one another. Isn't that nice? "'And now, if you don't mind, I've got to finish this "'and make a start on some cheese.' "'Cheese? But, but you, 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 could, you could do anything you wanted,' Roland burst out. "'And right now I want to make cheese,' said Tiffany calmly. "'Go away.' "'My father owns this land,' said Roland, and then realised he'd said that out loud. There were two little but strangely loud clicks as Tiffany put down the butter paddles and turned round. "'That was a very brave thing you just said,' she said. "'But I expect you're sorry you said it, now that you've had a really good think.' Roland, who had shut his eyes, nodded his head. "'Good,' said Tiffany. "'Today I'm making cheese.' Tomorrow I may do something else, and in a while, maybe, I won't be here, and you'll wonder, where is she? But part of me will always be here. Always. I'll always be thinking about this place. I'll have it in my eye, and I will be back. Now, go away. He turned and ran. After his footsteps had died away, Tiffany said, All right, who's there? It's me, mistress. No, as big as medium-sized jock, but bigger than we jock jock, mistress. The Pixie appeared from behind the bucket and added, Rob, anybody said we should come to keep an eye on you for a wee while, and to thank you for the offering. It's still magic, even if you know how it's done, Tiffany thought. Only watch me in the dairy, then, she said. No spying. 
Ach, no, mistress, said not as big as medium-sized Jock, but bigger than we Jock Jock nervously. Then he grinned. Fionn's gone off to be the kelder for a clan over near Copperhead Mountain, he said, and she's asked me to go along as the Gonagall. Congratulations. Aye, and William says I should be fine if I just work on the mouse pipes, said the pixie. And, er... Uh, yes, said Tiffany. Er... Uh, Hamish says there's a girl in the Long Lake clan who's looking to become a gelder. Uh, it's uh, a fine clan she's from. Uh. The pixie was going violet with embarrassment. Good, said Tiffany. If I was Rob anybody, I'd invite her over right away. You didn't mind, said not as big as medium-sized Jock, but bigger than we Jock Jock, hopefully. Not at all, said Tiffany. She did a little bit, she had to admit to herself. But it was a bit she could put away on a shelf in her head somewhere. "'That's grand,' said the pixie. "'The lads were a bit worried, you can. "'I'll run up and tell them.' "'He lowered his voice. "'And would you like me to run after that big heap of jobbies "'that just left and see that he falls off his horse again?' "'No,' said Tiffany hurriedly. "'No, don't, no.' "'She picked up the butter paddles. "'You leave him to me,' she added, smiling. "'You can leave everything to me.' "'When she was alone again, she finished the butter. "'Patter, patter, 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 patter. "'She paused, put the paddles down, and with the tip of a very clean finger, drew a curved line in the surface with another curved line just touching it, so that together they looked like a wave. She traced a third, flat curve under it, which was the chalk. Land under wave. She quickly smoothed the butter again and picked up the stamp she'd made yesterday. She'd carved it carefully out of a piece of apple wood that Mr Block the carpenter had given her. She stamped it onto the butter and took it off carefully. There, glistening on the oily, rich yellow surface, was a gibbous moon, and, sailing in front of the moon, a witch on a broomstick. She smiled again, and it was Granny Aching's smile. Things would be different one day, but you had to start small, like oak trees. Then she made cheese. In the dairy, on the farm, and the fields unrolling and becoming the downlands sleeping under the hot midsummer sun, where the flocks of sheep, moving slowly, drift over the short turf like clouds on a green sky, and here and there sheep dogs speed over the grass like shooting stars, forever and ever, wold without end. That is the end of The Wee Free Men. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Stephen Briggs. This has been an Isis Audiobooks presentation. For further details of our extensive range of books on audio cassette and CD, please call our free phone number, which is 0800 731 5637.